This is an AMI podcast. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Double Tap. Coming up today, we are revisiting the Zero Project Conference 2023. You're listening to Double Tap, your daily accessible technology show. Now, here's your host, Stephen Scott. Hey, everybody. Welcome along to another episode of the show. Uh, No Sean today, uh, just me, because uh, last year you might remember that I uh, went off to Vienna to spend some time at the Zero Project Conference, a fantastic opportunity to learn about some of the work that's going on around the world to support people with disabilities. Now, from our perspective, it was all about the tech. And uh, one subject that came up, which uh, has come up time and time again on our show, is the subject of echolocation and, of course, using various apps and technology to move around our space. You know, for example, robot guide dogs, smart canes and all of that. Uh, But what is the view of all of this from the point of view of a mobility instructor? Well, I got a chance to meet one who was an expert in echolocation and certainly caused us here on Double Tap to have quite a conversation. So my name is Juan Ruiz. I am one of the two blind mobility instructors in Europe. Oh, wow. Okay. And my specialty is in human echolocation. So using, of course, the technique that bats and dolphins use to get around. I work very closely with Daniel Kish from the U.S. as well. Yes. Well, this is very interesting because we've been having a discussion on our show for some time now, actually, about guide dogs and canes and which is best and you know let's not talk one down let's talk them both up and all That's of that right. and then amongst all that conversation a discussion came up around echolocation as almost like a third option oh my god you know it, it I, I wouldn't say that it's a third option it's just another tool that can enhance your ability to move around better and to have a, a fuller picture of your environment so anything you can use whether it's uh, a guide dog, a cane, um, echolocation, and of course using all three. If you manage to use all three, that just it it adds to the power of your ability to navigate environments better. I think that every blind person has quite a good understanding of how echolocation works because they use echolocation on a daily basis i'm sure you yourself are using echolocation but we probably don't well, think we use it yeah right? yeah well yeah i'm not sure if everybody knows that they're that they're using it and i don't know if people really understand to what levels one can strategically utilize them in every situation um, that really enhances their performance and their ability to move around independently what are the ways you teach people how to use it what what was let's i mean let's go back to day one right let's imagine it's day one you're teaching me how to echolocate what what are you going to what are you going to tell me so the first thing i would do is i would observe the way you move around how you perceive your environment how you seem to understand environments that you are unfamiliar with because my interest is to activate the brain as much as possible and get the person to perceive as much as possible. 
I am a blind instructor, therefore I understand uh, through my experiences to what levels a blind person can perceive auditorily, uh, using the tactile sense as well with your feet, with your cane, observing people. It, it, it's just a full understanding of, 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 of the environment <laughs> yeah. and situations. And so I tried to figure out where you're at, how you do what you do, and see where I can meet you and what I can teach you. Because I'm, I, I would not start with you on step one, step two, step three. I would meet you where you're at and see what I can contribute to help you perform better. Are there some people where echolocation just isn't an option? It just doesn't work for them? For, for many reasons. It could just, just be, it feels like sensory overload. I haven't had that experience where echolocation doesn't work for them. It works for them at different levels. Um, some people may use it very little. Some people may use it a lot. Some people, it, it might improve their life significantly and some not so much just because maybe they are already using it very well. And, you know, it's just the little tricks and tips that may help the blind person um, utilize echolocation better. For example, just the understanding of head positioning. How do you hold your head to get auditory input from a different direction and it, it, as soon as you turn your head sound sounds completely different the room sounds a little different uh, your, pla your place in the environment sounds different as soon as you move your head up down left right and at any angle it changes the perspective of how you hear your environment and wearing a hat Kind of an impact, right? I mean, if you absolutely, <laughs> we're, we're wearing a hat. It's a, it it would almost give you the impression as as if there was a something over your head, like a like a roof. Yeah. And actually, it, it depending on which signal you are using uh, to to gather acoustic echo information. Um, if I was using a click, or if you were using your voice, you'd really hear your hat in front of you all the time. Now, uh, if you're using your cane, maybe it's not uh, affecting you so much. But, you know, echolocation is not just what people think, which is, you know, walking around clicking like mad. Um, well, I wanted to ask you about that because, <laughs> because there is, a, there is a, sometimes a sense of, you know, you're walking around and, you know, we as, as, as blind people, as disabled people, we want to fit in in That's society. Right. And if right. you're walking around clicking all the time like a dolphin essentially, yeah. maybe doesn't, you know, yeah, yeah. doesn't ingratiate I mean, ourselves very well with other people. Yeah. Well, I mean, we we don't click like Matt, right? So, so my way of moving around and the way I promote people to behave and move around um, is you have to move around elegantly. You have to look elegantly. You have to present yourself very very elegantly and move very fluidly mm. right and so when i do click when i'm talking to somebody or when i'm moving around most people don't even notice it because well sighted people have their acoustic filters set differently than we blind people do mm. there's so much that blind people can hear better than um sighted people can because well, we're, 
that's just how we function. We we're we're trying to grasp as much information. But we're also not looking, so we're yeah. because we're not able to look. So yeah. we we are just aware of the sense. It's not that we have better hearing. Absolutely, that classic not. myth. No, you know we don't have better hearing. We just well, use it better. Yeah, we yeah we we use it more and we depend on it more. And sighted people can learn to hear a lot better if they train their brain. Uh, I think everybody has different levels of perception based on their interests and strengths. Mm. You know, one could use such a small click. I'll, I'll, I'll make a very silent click. That's enough to... to that's very quiet. Yeah. yeah, that's absolutely quiet, but that's enough to give me some information from a couple of feet around me, whether somebody's sitting next to me or to figure out whether somebody's sitting next to me or whether there's something on the table that's in my way or... Or you know, just a few feet where I don't need to stretch out my hand or I don't need to stretch out a cane. And then there is, of course, different levels of amplitude of clicks that one can use. One can use a, which is a little bit louder, which gives you a little bit more distance in, in perception. Now, you know, one can use a medium click, which gives you a wider radius of, of of information of objects around you and of, of course um, one can use extremely loud click to hear things that are quite distant from you right so let's say you're out in the middle of a field um, and you you don't know where the nearest building is all you got to do is submit a very nice loud click I'm probably gonna set off your microphones here and I'll go, it. Yeah. Go, ahead and go do that That's really loud. Now, I mean, I don't do that very often, especially in social context. Yeah. But uh, um, it provides me with the information that I need to move and find what I want. If I'm in the middle of an open field, I can hear definitely uh, a building from about 50 to 100 meters away. Why not? Right? Yeah. It's interesting to me. Okay, first question I have is, what if you can't click? <laughs> what if you can't do it? Because <laughs> I've tried, I mean, I can kind of do it, but it feels a bit mushy to me. It doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel like a proper click. Is it a skill there as well? You know, it's just a matter of trying out different clicks and playing around and, and getting yourself used to... Clicking fingers? I mean, is that an option? That's definitely an option. But I it, do that sometimes. It, it doesn't provide you with the most precise picture right so so using your cane is an option of course because you can hear things that are closer to the ground some people move their feet in a certain way um, with the tongue click it, it's just at the level of your ears so it provides you with the most precise picture I want to ask you your take on technology as a tool for mobility because there are so many apps available so many Devices now are getting smart canes. There's endless talk about the next robot guide dog. As we saw this year at CES, a number of devices that were shown off to really help blind people navigate and you know avoid things like overhanging branches and all of that. Where do, where do you stand on that as a mobility instructor? You know, teaching these skills. Do you think that learning the skill of the guide dog or the cane or both and echolocation is enough? And in fact, these other tools. Would, would they get in the way? What's your take on that? You know, I think it depends on the individual. 
what works for one person may not work for another person. Do you what, do you promote what, any of that? What I promote first and foremost is self development and self skills. I, I, I try to stay away from technology as much as I can to until it where where it makes sense. Like 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 I'm not gonna stay away from Google Maps and mm. and, and such things that you know really make sense since such as Microsoft Soundscaping one. Hey, that's awesome. So as many tools as possible for me that you can have is great. When when you ask a sighted person, what is a cane for the blind? Well, it's something to find things. Right? I mean, they they give you this this very bleak explanations of what a cane is. <laughs> yeah. Right. And 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 for me, the way I see my cane, I see the cane as an extension of me, as an extension of my arm. When I use my cane, and the way I teach my students to use the cane is as if they were reading the ground as if they were reading Braille, like like they were reading Braille. So with such fine detail, because that's all information. And if if your brain is thinking of the cane as, 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 as something else, you're going to be missing a lot of information because you've trained your brain to not pay attention to so much. Yeah. And so so... So first and foremost, use your hearing, use your sentence. Our bodies are just perceptual antennas. Yeah. The sense of feel, the feeling of the air, feeling of the floor, feeling of 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 it all. And then when you add the acoustics, I mean, you can tell distances of where objects are at, and 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 you know dimensions of rooms and what. If you put that all together, we are powerful sensory antennas. Thank you so much to Juan for coming on and sharing his story. Really interesting to hear from him. Now, one of the reasons the conference exists is to celebrate the work of organizations and companies around the world and individuals who are doing great things for people with disabilities. And there are a number of products on display. And of course, being a tech show, that really appealed to me. So I took a wander around the exhibits hall last year to learn about some of the tech out there for all kinds of disabilities that were on show and that were winning awards at the Zero Project Conference in 2023. Hey, my name is José Robinger. José, lovely to meet you. Thank you so much for being on Double Tap. So why are you at the Zero Project Conference? I am the CCO and the co-founder of a company called key to enable So in Brazil, we developed a keyboard in the first moment that enables children, students, people with severe and motor disabilities to use a computer, to use a smartphone, to use tablets. Um, and are we talking about a physical keyboard? Yes, it's a physical keyboard that you connect it to any computer and to anything that has a USB, actually. Ah, okay, cool. So, uh, explaining a little bit how it works, it's a square keyboard, and here we will find nine main keys. They are round, and around these keys we have letters, numbers, and we have actually all the commands that a regular keyboard have. But children and people with severe disability, for example, those who were born with cerebral palsy or they, uh, they, they lost their movements and they cannot use their hands, so they do not have fine motor coordination, they will uh, need to touch uh, this keyboard and do a combination for each letter. So for example, these nine uh, uh, buttons that I told you, 
they have colors and they have symbols. So, for example, to write the first name of uh, your name, the first letter of your name, that it's S, I will find where this letter is in these nine buttons. And here I can find that it's in the pink button. Okay. So if I touch this button one time, it will light and it will wait for this person to type another command, like a combination. So the combination of your name, according to the pattern that I have here, is the pink plus the orange button. So pink plus orange, I will have R. Oh, sorry, it's S. Yeah. <laughs> I did a mistake, but you, you did it as <laughs> yeah, yeah, I get the idea. So the S, let's do S again. It's uh, the pink, and the pattern that it's here, it shows me that it's the brown. So pink plus brown, you can be uh, very happy because pink plus brown is the first letter of your name. Okay. And why it makes it easier for them? Because if they try to touch the regular keyboard, they will make a mess. When I was wondering trying. this. I'm thinking, why is that different to a regular keyboard? That's it. So imagine a person, uh, a, a child that was born with cerebral palsy, and they do not have this fine motor coordination with the fingers. So uh, most of them are not able. May, may, maybe uh, they are nonverbal also, and they cannot touch the regular keyboards. So that keyboard that comes with the laptop, for example, they will never use. Okay? okay? So we have eye gazes, we have many other options that they can do it. But some of them cannot use this other technology. So we found out that if we did something like this, that would make them curious because I think you are curious to understand because there is, there is this square thing with many colors and, and, and round keys. How can I type my name using that? Yeah. It happens the same, mainly with children. And now, just, just, just going by what you're saying, it, it reminds me a little bit of the old-fashioned, as some would call it these days, the old-fashioned keyboards on mobile phones. Remember the T9 keyboard? Exactly. Yeah. You, 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 you hit the spot. But again, uh, remember that that keyboard, we had to use our fingers to... It was very small. Yeah, it was very small, exactly. So now we have this square. Uh, it is around 45 centimeters for, uh, for 40 centimeters, okay? And this, these keys are separated. So imagine something now in your mind, like three keys in the upper um, side, then three keys in the middle, then three keys in the bottom. So a little, a little bit like the one to nine on the T9 keyboard, right? Exactly. So because of this, I can use all the commands in the computer. I can hit enter. Imagine a person that cannot even uh, use the fingers hitting Control Alt Delete in Microsoft Windows, for example. Yeah, it would just be a nightmare. Exactly. With this, I can do it in three commands. So control delete will be the control, then the out, and delete. So I give them autonomy and privacy because maybe they want to use this without the caregiver, without mother. So this is the first solution that we came up with. Actually, I need to tell you something that is really, really very amazing. I didn't create that. Actually, I made it. But who created the idea was a man who was born with cerebral palsy in Brazil. His brain was stimulated when he was young, and he always wanted more. 
So he graduated in computer science using something uh, attached to his head that we call a head pointer. Mm -hmm. So imagine a man studying computer science and touching each key with his head. Every time that he needed to press the add symbol, he needs someone to help him to press the shift button. Yes, because he can only press one key at a time. Exactly. Now he can do it. Because That's it's incredible. Congratulations on it. Congratulations on the award. Well done for all this. And uh, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much. Uh, so my name is Marielle Ellingsen. I'm from Norway and I'm the founder and CEO of a company called Void. So we're creating an app for people that uses hearing aids. Okay. Uh, so in conversations where there are more people talking, perhaps a little bit of background noises and other sounds, uh, everyone can use their smartphone as an external microphone for the hearing aid user. Mm. That's incredible, yeah. Because, I mean, look, th this is something which I think affects a lot of people, mm. for sure. Uh, are you developing this with deaf people particularly in mind? Are people hard of hearing or are you thinking more broadly than that? Uh, we are developing this with um, hearing aid users in mind. Um, specifically? Specifically. But, okay. of course, the technology in itself can be like broadened with the user group and stuff like that in the future. But now we're cooperating with um, uh, Norway's Association for the Hearing Impaired uh, to have like regularly input from them of how we should form this app and how it should work and how it should look and where it should be working and stuff like that. So we're always like including them uh, in our developing process so that we actually create something that is to be used and wants to be used for them and for me as well because I want to be here in my family. Are you deaf yourself? No, uh, but we have uh, people in my family that are hard of hearing so right. I'm doing this from my for point them. of view as well so that they can hear me when I'm speaking to them. Mm. Yeah. No, absolutely. Thank you so much for uh, talking to me. That's really interesting. Yeah, thank you yourself. So my name is Ivar Sagona and I'm the CTO of uh, Definitely. Um, we are a company. It basically started with our founder and CEO. His name is Nimrod Nivne. Uh, he is a father of three uh, adorable daughters, uh, two of which were born 100% uh, deaf. And the youngest one, Ziv, had uh, four failed surgeries and she is now unfortunately still unable to uh, hear speak uh, no read and she started elementary school three years ago she joined a class that combines between deaf and hearing kids and that experience that unique experience really emphasized for Nimrod the, the dissonance between how easy it is for us to take for granted us as uh, hearing people to take for granted uh, technologies like WhatsApp and Facebook and even phone calls and how it's almost impossible for Ziv and their classmates uh, to enjoy those kind of te technologies and ASIC communication in general. And from that dissonance, definitely this vision was born, and it's a vision uh, in which Ziv and hearing people all over the world are able to, to enjoy ASIC communication and can communicate just as easily as we can all do, and uh, in an independent way, uh, independently from third-party translators. And in order to accomplish that, uh, that uh, vision, uh, we had to develop an ability to take spoken language on its various forms, uh, it doesn't matter if it's an uh, audio or a textual representation, and to translate it into an animation of an avatar or a, a real-life person passing that exact message uh, using sign language. And so we did, and this is what we do. 
we developed an app that, uh, that does it, the chatting application that enables deaf people and hearing people to communicate with each other, each one with its own uh, native language. And it makes it possible for this teacher, for example, to write her class a message in plain Hebrew or plain uh, English, for example. And for Ziv to get that message in uh, Israeli Sign Language or in the BSL, the British Sign Language. Uh, so, yeah, so this is the, the amazing experience that we can enable here. One other app that we developed, you can't see uh, on the, on the roll-up, but uh, we developed an app that translates media, uh, TV shows, uh, uh, movies, or even podcasts. Uh, it enables Ziv to select the sign language in which he wants that uh, podcast to be translated to and to get a video, a sign language video that we artificially ge- generated in real time uh, where she can uh, see the things we, the hearing people, can hear. Uh, just so someone like, who's totally deaf, just to get this in my head, yeah. so someone who's totally deaf can then get, say, a podcast audio uh, exactly. delivered to them in sign language. Exactly. exactly. That's incredible. Yeah. This is the experience that we enable them. And, and, and how is that... Is that because of the, the capabilities now with artificial intelligence and being able to utilize I mean, all the things we hear about today when we hear about AI? Is that essentially what's uh, driving this? Sure, LLMs, for example, uh, the, you know, the whole hype uh, around GPT and stuff yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah, it's uh, basically around the model called LLM, la- large language models. And uh, we, we've been working for uh, two years, but yeah, LLMs are one of the pillars that uh, definitely was uh, uh, built upon. Of course, you need to understand the, the unique experience that, uh, that deaf people uh, experience. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, AI and LLMs in, in particular are one of the pillars that, uh, that made it all possible. And is this an app that people can download now or is this in so, development? Uh, uh, we released uh, an MVP for dozens of families in Israel. We got amazing feedbacks and we are about to release a formal, uh, formal release uh, for the public. Uh, wow. Specifically now for the, uh, for the UK and for uh, Israel, because as I told you, we support uh, Hebrew and uh, British Sign Language. Uh, but we are about to release uh, support for uh, not only the American Sign Language, but also for other uh, sign languages like the Portuguese one and the Italian one. And, and this is called Definitely? Definitely, yeah. D-E-A-F and the rest of definitely. <laughs> okay, brilliant. And, and that's across iPhone, across Android devices? iPhones and Androids, yeah. Well, I wish you all the best with it. Thank you very much. A real interesting mix of companies, products and individuals as well doing great things in the field of research into products that can really enable us as disabled people to live independent lives. Some fascinating topics in there from all around the world. And that is what Zero Project is all about. And it's something we'll be focusing on once again this year. Up next, we hear from uh, the UK's most influential person of 2023. Uh, That is Shani Dander. We'll hear that conversation next. Follow Double Tap on social media at Double Tap On Air and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts and email us feedback at doubletaponair.com. We'll be right back. Call the Double Tappers now, 1-877-803-4567 or email us, feedback at doubletaponair.com. Keep that feedback coming. We'll get to it on the next episodes of Double Tap. Now, returning to Zero Project Conference in Vienna 
Last year, 2023, we got the chance to meet Shani Dando. Now, Shani is disabled herself, and uh, she was just voted the UK's most influential disabled person. I got the chance to talk to her on a wide range of topics in Vienna last year. Hi, I'm Shani Danda. I'm a disability inclusion consultant. I'm a broadcaster and a social entrepreneur. First off, you're a broadcaster. You're not looking to take over my job, are you? <laughs> no, no. Andy's always looking for new talent, so I'm always, you know, <laughs> have to be careful here. Um, all right, so we, we often get wrapped up in our worlds, wherever we live in the world. Yeah. You know, we talk about our bubbles and, you know, we, we you and I are from the UK, right? Yeah. So we're used to talking about UK issues or yeah. UK-focused issues, but... When you just start to zoom out a little bit from that and you learn about what's going on in Africa and in India and other places, you actually realise, first off, that we probably aren't as bad off as we thought we were yeah. in some ways. Yeah. In some, I mean, not in all areas. There are definitely problems. But I think it's just giving people a chance to get some perspective. And I'm absolutely with you on that. And I think especially because I do a lot of disability activism and advocacy, you know, uh, whether that's going on Good Morning Britain, calling the government out on its treatment of disabled people, or, you know, whether that's other broadcasting work that I do, I'm not afraid to, to say what I truly feel as a disabled person. But we can get really bogged down in our own issues. But once, you know, if we step back and take a world view on it, Sometimes I think we don't really have much to complain about in the UK if we compared it to other countries. Yeah. You know, there's some countries out there that don't even have a law that makes it illegal to discriminate against disabled people. Do you know what's interesting about that? That I think sometimes we fail to recognise progress, don't we? Yeah, 100%. Especially when you're working in it. Mm -hmm. Because if you're anything like me... I'm like, right, what's next? We've ticked that off the list. What's next? What's yep. next? What's next? But I feel like the pandemic have really made inclusion go backwards for disabled people. So pre-pandemic, I always used to say, there's never been a better time to be disabled. Yeah. And yeah. people used to give me a bit of a quizzical look. They'd be like, why would you say that? Like, is there ever a time to be disabled? I'm like, well, yeah, for a lot of us, for nearly 15 million of us, this is all we know, uh, right? And... But people didn't understand what I meant by that. And I can't say that anymore post-pandemic because what was an amazing opportunity to press reset on society and to come back way more inclusively, I just felt like decision makers did the complete opposite. They prioritised a certain group of people and bringing certain people back into society, but not everybody. And that's not okay. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. And I, I, I'm with you on that because I used to say the same thing. Yeah. You know, I used to say, and from my perspective, yeah. you know, what a great time to be blind. Look at how yeah. so much technology that exists to make my life easier, yeah. to make friends of mine, you know, people I work with easier, to get into, you know, potential at least to get into jobs and do great mm. things. But, you know, we're, we're, we, we do still have a lot of challenges. And it's interesting because we, you know, we put that next to our earlier comment, which mm. is in the UK, from our perspectives, we actually have decent life with yeah. decent decent opportunities it's not perfect though. yeah yeah but you know again if you compare it with the rest of the world yeah. and some parts of the world it's it's different so it's, it's, it's an interesting it depends on who you're talking to Definitely. doesn't it because the, the audience can really it really changes how we talk about disability yeah. and I'm, you know i'm really careful it's not about pitting one country against another it's no. definitely not the oppression olympics no so the reason so glad you said yeah. that I, I use that phrase a lot and it's just 
I hate that. Yeah, I hate that. but I feel like so. You know, my heritage is Indian, but I'm British, so I've I've always felt this conflict from a really young age. Like I'm not Indian enough, and I'm not British enough. <laughs> you know, people tell me, people ask me where I'm from, and I say Birmingham, and they're like, "No, well, where are you really from?" Oh, that's just ridiculous, you know, isn't all it? All of that. Um, but I, knew then, you were, I knew you were from Birmingham. You knew straight away, you. yeah. <laughs> but then when I go to India, my family there don't see me as Indian; they see me as British. Mm-hmm. So, so it's really confusing for them and for me. However. I think I learned from a really young age how lucky I was to be born in the UK, just purely from a disability perspective. So my dad was born in India and um, my grandparents and my dad both moved to the UK as economic migrants after the partition of India, Mm. after uh, the British stopped ruling there after partition. And I'm really glad they did that. And... It's really difficult for me to express, like, colonialism is obviously horrible, but I've benefited from it, I feel, by being born in the UK as a disabled person. Because if I was born in India, there's no way, there's no way I would be doing the things that I'm doing because my family are farmers. They live in a rural part of India. Um, You know... The girls in my family in India don't really get educated. I had I can do whatever I want to do. Let me just put it into perspective. So my grandmother was had a forced marriage at thirteen. Mm. Then my then she emigrated to the UK. Then my mom had a forced marriage, and here's me doing what the hell I want, when I want, with who I want, how I want. Yeah, and it just blows my mind. So what would a, what would your life have been like? Do you have any sense of what? life would have been like had you been born in India? From other people you might know or people you've spoken to. I have spoken to my family about this. I just think I just would have been kept at home. Probably probably be expected to help out around the house if I could. Milk the cows, make the chapatis and the dal and I don't know, just just probably never get married. Never get married. Because I face all of those cultural um, stigmas now in the UK so people I'm 35 years old I must be the only Asian woman that's never been pressured to get married and never been pressured to get to have kids and if you know anything about South Asian culture marriage is intrinsic to our culture yeah. and so growing up so my mum was my mum's Indian but she's born in the UK so I'm like one and a half I think or two and a half generation in the UK I don't know it confuses me but um my parents have a really different outlook on life from each other and especially towards disability. So my mum would never treat me any differently. When I was naughty, I got a smack. Just the same with my other siblings, even though I have brittle bone disease. And my mum was like, there's nothing you can't do. You'll just find a different way of doing it. And I'm so glad that that's the approach that she took because she would have done me no favours Molly coddling me and treating me or giving me a pass. Do you know what I mean? Not not having yes. the same expectations. Yeah. But whereas my dad, he was like, why do you want to work? Can't you just claim disability benefits? Hmm. So I was like, dad, why, why would you say that to me? Like, I want to work. I can work. Are you going to fund my lifestyle? Um, you know, so I, I think from a really young age, I've had to educate my parents. I, I feel like I've always had to fight for, the, fight for what I wanted Fight, for, fight to be me, but fight for also the life I've wanted to as well because of 
being a South Asian woman who experiences disability and everything that brings with it, like disability faces an even further sense of stigma in my community. Mm. So I, I find it so ironic that on one hand, my mum's saying to me, there's nothing you can't do, but my family never speaks to me about getting married. How ironic is that? Yeah. It's so contradictory, isn't it? But look, oh, I can't even get into that with them because... I have to deal with my own feelings about that. I can't even deal with what they're thinking about it. So I ju- we just all ignore it and I just do what I want. <laughs> so, so on a, a, and this is just putting a really broad level, yeah. but, you know, I guess in your family, mm. the talk is around your disability and what it can do, what you can't do and all of that. But then externally, when you go out into the big wide world, yeah. it's disability and ethnicity. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, yeah, I think... I'm 35 now and my health is relatively stable but um, so the condition I have is brittle bone disease and it means that my bones break without any trauma so by the age of 14 I had broken my legs six times and people people usually are like wow that's a lot but people with my condition break between three to four hundred times in their life so I feel very fortunate so you're winning then <sighs> Yes. You know, my other friends with the same condition, they call me fake. They're like, six breaks. <laughs> Come on, yeah. 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 Um, but, you know, I also ha- I have a short stature as a result of that condition. Right. But in my teens, I had, like, surgery, so I have metal rods in my legs. I've also had treatment to strengthen my bone density, so my bone density is average now. So if I was to fall over here, I shouldn't break anything. Um, but, so I had, you know, so... There was a lot of focus on my condition and my health at a much younger age and I actually went to a special needs primary school um, just because that's what inclusion was, you know, in the 80s. Don't get me wrong, I loved it, I played a lot, but it wasn't until I went to a mainstream secondary school did I realise that that wasn't the best place for my learning. I remember the teachers saying to me things like, Shani, you've read all the books in the school, no one's ever done that before. Yeah. Um, and I found it really difficult to integrate. Don't get me wrong, I was I was a popular kid in school. I had an electric wheelchair. It went up and down. It had lights, horn and an indicator. It was really cool. Um, and it, I never got bullied. Um, but academically, I found it really hard. I just felt like I didn't know the basics. Um, so so in, from going back to the family thing, like a lot of it was around like, Trying not to break, but I'd break. Then learning how to walk again, but also trying to get my education in as well. And I faced a lot of um, low expectations from my community. So people were really shocked that I learned how to drive or I went to college or went to uni. But that really upset me because these people had literally raised me in my community. You know, they'd perhaps be extended family members or people who would go to the same temple with we're all a really close community and I was like well you expect your own kids to do that why don't why why not me I'm very capable of doing it but it's kind of like if you have if you have a physical condition then people just expect you to do less or just think that you won't want to do won't want to work or I, I think you know from my perspective it's it's often 
it's not about physical either. It's it's mm. about disability. Yeah. Disability for some people equals incapability. Yeah. And that's the problem. That's what we all do to try and tell people that's not the case. We almost spend our lives just saying that over and over and yeah. over again, whilst living our lives very capably. Yeah. You know, and, and it's interesting. You mentioned you're on TV, like Good Morning Britain and the yeah. UK and stuff like that. What kind of reaction do you get from people when you go on those shows? Because, I mean, we all know what social media is like. We all know the hornet's nest that can stir up whenever someone turns up on TV and yeah. says something. I, I wonder what the what the reaction from people is. Is it Because I, I mentioned earlier about the big wide world and, you know, disability and ethnicity. Mm. Do you face both attacks on both from both fronts, essentially? I do, and it wasn't until I got trolled was it so hierarchical so there's a way in which people troll me. Mm. So first they'll comment on my disability, then my ethnicity, and if they ever get round to it, my gender. Oh, right, okay. And but if I was if I was a non-disabled, cisgendered, white woman, people probably only troll me because of my gender, right? Like how we see that mm. happen. And I was like, oh my god, like there's even a hierarchy to how to be trolled. But yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, um, you know, I'm really open about my story, my life. And a lot of people don't believe what I say. So, um, really? yeah. So I had to apply for like over, I had to apply for over 100 jobs at the age of 16 until I removed any mention of my condition. And then I got offered an interview. People were like, no, you're lying. I was See, like, why would I lie? As a blind guy, I, I actually amazed you had to, that was as, as little as you had to do. I wouldn't be surprised if you said 200. See, and yeah. you know, I wish I could sit here and say it's not like that anymore for disabled people. Mm. But so I think it's probably got worse. And, you know, there are there are people that are have got PhDs out there, disabled people, and they can't even get a job. It's it's not okay. It's not fair. But the, the, the most soul-destroying thing is is when someone's built up the courage to share their experience to help you know, challenge perceptions and raise awareness that someone tells them that, no, that, that's not true, that can't be right. That's the worst thing that you can yeah. do to somebody. It really is. Yeah. And it takes a lot for people to, in, you know, you and I are, are similar in that sense. We're happy to share our stories. Yeah. I say we're happy to do it. And maybe happy is the wrong word. We do it because we perhaps feel it's the right thing to do. And certainly the feedback I get on this program is people appreciate it because they, they're maybe not in a position to say it themselves. Yeah. Maybe they're thinking it internally at that point. They're not ready to come out and say it. And then they do Absolutely. because they feel, well, he said it. And okay, yeah. it, it, I, I get that. You know, yeah. I, I can connect with that. I feel that way. Or I feel that what is what I'm feeling is being acknowledged. Yeah, 100%. And also, um, so I'm very aware that I'm also a very palatable disabled person. And that brings a lot of privilege. I'm very. Now what does that mean? I'm very aware of it. So what I mean by that is I have clear speech. I um, I'm, I think I can articulate myself pretty well. You're a young woman. <laughs> I'm a young woman. Um, I, I mean, I, I have no doubt you're attractive. I can't tell, you know, but I have <laughs> no doubt that you are. But yeah, yeah. that's what you're getting at, So it? that's what I mean. Like, you know, um, I don't have a mobility aid with me right now. So it's... Although it's hard for me to get those opportunities, it's easy for me to occupy those spaces. And that's why it's a, it's a huge honour and it's a privilege when I am able to hold space and take up space as a disabled woman of colour because I'm not just doing it for me. I'm doing it for us and our community. Yeah. And I always thought, right, 
I'm here and I'm representing disabled people, South Asian women, and that's it. But from the comments, the, the nice comments I receive, I, I have come to understand that other people feel represented as well, just through perhaps through experiences that they can relate with or resonate with or um, just seeing difference, just seeing somebody else, um, you know, tell their truth or to, to share what a community is feeling. And that's exactly what I want. I want I want people to think, well, if she can do it, I can do it. And I want, you know, broadcasters and decision makers to think, well, you know, we've worked with disabled people. It wasn't as hard as we thought it would, as scary as we thought it would be. Yep. Because what what I'm still really frustrated about in the UK is that there are nearly 15 million disabled people that we know of. That's nearly 25% of the population. But we, you know, we're rarely on screen. We, re- we rarely have opportunities to take up space in the media. Yeah. And that's not okay. And then when you look at the representation that we do have, it's not very diverse. So there are a lot of... Um, people with the same types of conditions or the same types of um, characteristics you know I, I don't hide the fact that I feel that there's a lot of white fragility within the disability community and I feel like talking about how racism and ableism intertwines is a really difficult conversation for me to have because I just feel like disabled people feel like they're being attacked and what I never quite understand is we as disabled people want non-disabled people to have compassion and empathy for us and to change the world. But there are communities within communities within the disability community. Like one approach isn't going to work for all of us. And and there's challenges within that community as well, right? Exactly. So there are people who might say what you said about being a palatable disabled person. Yeah. Some might look at that as, well, you're not really representing me. Yeah. And that's a problem as well in our community. I, I get that from the yeah. blind community. Yeah. I'm not blind enough. Yeah. Therefore, I, you know, can I use that word? Oh, I get that. And I, look, I've never said that I, I represent. Yeah, I do. I would never want to to rep, be the only representative. Yep. Oh my god, I would never want that. I'm sure. Yeah. Right, how horrible would that be? Well, can you uh, imagine it's like suddenly you're the king of the disabled people yeah. or the queen of the disabled people? How does that work, right? Yeah, exactly. It doesn't make sense exactly. either because we're all individuals. Exactly, that's why we need more opportunities. And I think that's why we fall into this trap of people saying, well, you don't represent me. It's mm. probably because there's only ever one opportunity for someone to talk for two minutes about a disability issue. And that's why we need way more opportunities and much more people taking up those spaces as well. Yeah. How has tech enabled you? Oh, where has my it? How has it? God, it's changed my life. I think um, so. I was a really early adopter of like online shopping and you know uh, Uber and everything. So I'm three foot ten. I'm about the height of a four year old. I live in a world that isn't designed for me. Mm. Um, hailing a cab's difficult. People don't see me, or they could perhaps drive past me and just pretend they didn't see me. Um, online shopping really changed my life because because of brittle bones and because I'm very short I can't really carry much so like you know supermarket shopping getting groceries and food shopping I'm able to do it at a click of two buttons and it's changed my life same with clothes I can never go into a store and, and buy clothes and wear them straight off the rail I have to get them tailored but it means that I can 
and and also I have to try and like the size I think I am the size smaller and the size bigger and I have to figure out okay if I'm going to get this tailored which size would work best it's it's a logistical nightmare and I think at the age of 35 I've learned a lot through trial and error but online shopping with clothes is easier because I can just do all of that and it all comes to my door I don't have to carry it so there's been so many different ways like those are things I can think of off the top of my head but the biggest digital um, disruption I think we all probably felt whether you're disabled or not was was as a result of the pandemic and that both really frustrates me but I'm glad it happened as well so as I'm sure you're aware you know there are lots of barriers for disabled people to be economically active it's tough to get a job it's not easy to get any welfare support if you're entitled to it. If, if you know, if people think that it's easy and it, it's handed out to you like sweets and everything's free, that's like the biggest misconception ever. I've just spent £8,000 on a new manual wheelchair. Just think of the amount of holidays I could have gone on instead. <laughs> or, you know, yeah. just could have gone towards a house deposit, but I have to spend it on a wheelchair because... The NHS doesn't have anything suitable for me. I tell people about my, my printer, yeah. which is Braille. Tell us about that, yeah. It's £10,000. You see? At, for a printer. First which of all... Which you can buy out of a store for, you know, how many exactly, dollars, you know, $20. First $30. of all, why do these things cost so much in the first place? Yeah. And secondly, why, why, why do we have to pay so much for them? Because... People think like, well, yeah, you know, we have the National Health Service in the UK. Surely you get everything through that. In my local area, there's like a 9,000 person waiting list. I had to wait through that for them to tell me we don't have anything suitable for you. It's taken me five years to get this new chair. Not because they were slow at making it. That was the quickest part. Just because of all the bureaucracy and all the, the hoops you have to jump through. But I think coming back to my point about technology and the pandemic so um work's really important money's important we as disabled people face unavoidable extra costs and so many disabled people wanted to work remotely and asked their employers if they could work remotely uh, pre-pandemic and we'd be told no if i do it for you i'm gonna have to do it for everybody else even though that's illegal in the uk because of reasonable adjustments or oh it we can't because of data protection or um, how, how will I trust you? How will I know you're working? But isn't it funny that, you know, as soon as we went into lockdown, you know, if, your jo- if you could do your job from home, you did your job from home. So what, that, what I learned from that is all the things that disabled people want can happen and they can happen quickly, but the need for change has to be seen to benefit non-disabled people too. Yeah. And that's, that is the reality. But that's what accessibility is. It is for it, everyone. It's for everyone. Is it, is it the name? Is it the problem? Is it the fact that, you know, we, we, because we've kind of fused accessibility and disability together, haven't we? As a, as a community, as a, in our society, that's how we've put it together. Yeah. Because we, we had to. We had yeah, to get it into it, the conversation. It makes sense. I think what the issue is, is um, people don't understand that it's not our conditions and impairment that disable us. People do not yet really understand that it's society that disables us. Barriers and bias is what I call it. Yeah. That, you know, physical barriers, cultural 
bias. You know, I face a lot of cultural bias, societal attitudes, all of that. That's, you know, it's never been my condition that disables me. Yeah, I live with my condition. Yes, it's painful, but I manage that with my with my health professional, and that's great. I'm very grateful to have access to that and the NHS. But that's a whole, I think people feel like, especially employers, that they need to be experts in medical conditions. Like, why do people even ask um, people what's your medical condition? Like, nobody mm. does anything with that data. No. As an employer, all you need to know is what are the barriers that you're experiencing in doing this role. And can I remove them? Yeah. It's as simple as that. So, and I think why we're in that muddle, why we're so medicalised, is because it wasn't that long ago in in the UK that disabled people were being institutionalised. So that's why I think the future generation gives me a lot of hope. Yeah, which takes it back to your role here and obviously, you know, meeting up and talking to the younger generation, which gives us all the hope, I guess, that there can be a brighter future and that... Going back to our point, because it's funny, we've kind of gone full circle here. Yeah. We talked about how great everything is from our, you know, our lives in the UK perspective to actually the real challenges that exist. But actually then zooming back out and saying there is hope that the generations here from all around the world can actually bring some hope to this. Yeah. And the solutions, more importantly, it has to be with their voice, our voice, their voice, because otherwise this won't work. You know, I, I know that the phrase gets used a lot, nothing about us without us. That is so true. And I will say something else. I think you've kind of got me around to the way of thinking with the social model okay, of disability. Okay, were, were you against it before? I wasn't against it, no, uh-huh. but I, I felt it was just part of the solution. And I think it still is. I think yeah, I agree. Two things can be true at the same yeah, time. Yeah. Medical model's true. Yeah. Social model is true. I'm with you. I'm with both of those. I, I think the people who argue that it's one versus the other, I'm not keen on. Agree. Because I think that, you know, we do have, a, I do have, my eyes don't work, yeah. right? So you know, no way around that, yeah. right? That's just, that's part of the way life is. My eyes don't work. Um, we're not born without eyes. So it's, it's kind of unusual to not have them working, right? Yeah. Um, so that's one thing. But equally, if I'm in a wheelchair and I go to a restaurant and I can't get in, it's not my fault. Mm. It's not my fault there's no ramp outside. Mm. It's because no one's considered that. Yeah. No one's that environment's not built for me to include me. Yeah. And that's up to them to fix. Yeah, yeah. So I can see it from those points of view. I agree. And I feel like all the models I take a bit of everything from them if I'm being honest. Um Because there's a real life aspect to this, yeah. right? You know, it's all very well and lovely in academia to talk about these things, but in reality yeah. you know, you have to take each situation as it comes. Yeah. There are times when it's they need to talk. The need to shout, yeah. the need to react in whatever way it is. And, yeah. and sometimes it's also the need to listen. Yeah. And also, you know, the charity model is very much alive and kicking. Mm. So that's, you know, the, the thought that um, charity will help and solve disabled people's problems or it's, it's only charity that, can, that is responsible for disabled people. That's why I think a lot of people are against things like children in need mm. in the UK, which is a, it's just a fundraiser on national, on, on national TV where they, where they portray disabled people and their difficulties, young disabled people. However, it's there to make money. In order to make money, you need to pull on people's heartstrings. And that's the problem. So that's, it meets that purpose. Yeah. However, that's, that's usually the only type of representation that disabled people have, and that's what's problematic about it. Yep. Charities only exist to, to cover the holes that the government leave behind, in my opinion. So it's, it's, it's like 
problematic thing after problematic thing. Um, I still encourage people to donate because those disabled children still need that help. Yeah. Um, but I want you to see it for what it is. And um, I, th I think it's important. Like, we have to sometimes accept the situation that we're in, but we can, we can call a spade a spade at the same time as well. Thank you so much to Shani Dander, also to Wanker Priest, and also all the exhibitors who are on display at uh, Zero Project Conference in 2023. We'll continue these conversations in 2024 as Sean and I visit Zero Project in Vienna once again. Stay tuned for all the coverage right here on Double Tap. Of course, on YouTube as well, you'll be able to watch our coverage and you can even check out all of our live coverage from the event on Access Tech Live over on AMI-TV, AMI+, Plus, and on YouTube as well. And don't forget, all of that is available on DoubleTapOnAir.com. It's an incredible event. I know you'll enjoy the coverage. Uh, keep in touch as well. Feedback at DoubleTapOnAir.com, 1877-803-4567. And we'll continue our conversation next time on Double Tap. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Red Sale, inviting you to download the latest episode of My Life in Books, where internationally acclaimed authors discuss their lives, their work, and three books that have resonated with them. That's My Life in Books, available wherever you get your AMI podcasts.